pastoring has not been my only job in my life's journey. I mowed lawns as a kid, worked as an engraver at a jewelry store, told you about that, tried to deliver newspapers at one point, but the fact that my circulation manager was stealing our money made it somewhat a non-profitable experience, so... Worked on paint crew during my summers in college and painted dorm rooms and actually sold shoes for a period and actually sold insurance. Now, it was during my brief insurance selling stint that I had an aha moment. It was a few months during my transition from pastoring actually at Archdale Friends to here at Deep River. A friend of mine invited me to try my hand at selling Medicare supplements, and I appreciated his willingness to give me an opportunity, so I sort of dove into it. But it just wasn't me. It didn't work out. And it really actually pushed some of my emotional buttons. Let me explain. Whether you were part-time or full-time, at the end of each day, you had a phone number that you had to call in. And some of you may do this in your own work. And you had to report your production. You dialed the number, you got an automated greeting, a very nice voice, and then a recording started and you reported your production. Your number of appointments the number of calls and sales. So one night I was making my call and it came time to record my production. So I I called the number and as I was doing, I remember hanging up the phone and thinking this. This feels way too much like my life and my spiritual journey. In other words, it was pushing my performance button because for me at that time, my whole sense of self was built around performance, how I performed as a pastor, how I performed as a parent, how I performed as a husband, how I performed as a human being. And in fact, my whole spiritual relationship with God felt like I was reporting my production every night. Even my devotions in the morning felt like I was reporting my production to my CEO, which was God. And even if I made my quota, then there was still more that I had to do. So I just remember hanging up the phone. I think Linda was actually in the room at the time. And I said, this just feels way too much like my life. And so I stopped. But life was one big performance for me. And my sense of self was always up for review. Any criticism crushed me. Any feeling of inadequacy or incompetence drove me to try harder and perform better. Any failure was unacceptable. And so I worked hard to keep my mistakes to a minimum. And most of my time, I lived in this fear for fear of looking incompetent or coming across as incompetent. The pain of inadequacy was too great. I simply anesthetized it by working harder and achieving more and trying to appear highly competent and intelligent. In fact, I just basically numbed out on achievement. That's why I hung up the phone that night. That's why I had that aha moment. That's the moment I realized that one's life and spiritual journey cannot be based on production and performance. It's unhealthy. It's soul-crushing, and it's completely opposite of what God intended. And that was such a defining moment in my life, I can honestly say it was the beginning of my recovery. I like to tell people I'm in recovery towards wholeness. I've been in recovery ever since. It doesn't mean that I have it down or my issues are gone. Far from it. What it does mean is I'm more willing to call myself out, to take a step back when I feel myself drifting back into that kind of addictive behavior such as approval addiction or work addiction. It means 
that my desire to live this life of wholeness is now much greater and stronger. It keeps me focused on doing the internal work I need to do to hopefully allow myself to have the opportunity to flourish and to thrive. And like I said, it's not a perfect system. It takes work for me. It takes hard work. And I know I'm not alone. I know through casual conversations and hearing people's pain. I know through counseling and coaching sessions with folks. I know it through observing people in life and how anxious we feel about the slightest mistake of failure or feelings or inadequacy. I know it through informal observations on social, social media. I'm always amazed that when I post a thought or a quote around the idea of God's love or the fact that we are enough, the response is always greater. It just blows up. Professional people, young people, older people, everybody just seems to just orbit around and gravitate around this idea that, wow, somebody finally recognized that I don't have to play the game anymore. I'm enough. I think it's that place of common ground in our humanity. It's those feelings of self-rejection, unworthiness, and inadequacy. We all may deal with them differently, or we feel them in different ways, or cope with them in different ways, but it's part of our human condition, and we struggle and we wrestle with it. Henry Nouwen, the author, describes it this way. As soon as we become spiritually deaf to the voice that calls us the beloved, we're going to look someplace else to make us the beloved. And that's when we get into trouble, he writes. We're going to look for love, affirmation, or praise where we can't find them. And we get hooked in all sorts of ways, whether it's alcohol, drugs, relationships, success in work, how people talk about us, or our desire to have control over things. One person put it this way. Performance-based acceptance is a dominant theme for many of us, despite the fact that it leaves us in a state of constant uncertainty and anxiety. And boy, it does. It really does. Now, the good news is, this was not the narrative Jesus gave us. Look at Jesus' baptism. The voice that calls us the beloved is the same voice that called to Jesus. If you read that particular story, Jesus gets baptized and then hears these words from heaven, assumably heaven meaning that he heard them from God's presence, he heard them from God's voice, quote, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. I've sat with so many people who carry that in their heart for years, who just wish they could have heard that from somebody. In some cases, especially in their father, or particularly maybe even in their mother, but their parents. I just wish I could have heard that. And when we don't feel we did, we somehow try to earn that or perform it. Now, no one would accuse Jesus of being weak or needy. Yet Jesus needed to hear those words. What Jesus heard, and we all need to hear this, is you're enough. My love for you is enough. It is the enoughness, and that's a word that I made up, so I'm going to trademark it, but it is the enoughness. The enoughness of God's love. It's the same enoughness that Paul knew that we read in this passage that Joe read about when he experienced God's grace during this very trying time and difficult time, a time he described as a thorn in my flesh, a torment. And that's, those are pretty big words. We just don't throw torment around like everyday difficulties. Paul was feeling some pain. And during that time, Paul writes that he heard God say to him, 
My grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God's strength and energy and empowerment is manifested and best when we are vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, we don't have to perform. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have it, have it all together. God's grace is enough. Or to put it a different way, we are enough. In this moment right now, you are enough. I am enough. God's grace is enough. Now, this is where I put my Quaker tradition into practice. And I say to myself, every day, I'm baptized or immersed into the enoughness of God's love and grace. Not by water, but I'm drenched and soaked in God's love, grace, mercy, and acceptance. And there's nothing I can do or need to do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can, ha- there's nothing I can or have done that will cause God to love me in any less. In that drenching and that soaking and in that immersing, I hear God's voice say to me, You are my child, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. I love this thought by the Episcopal Episcopal priest Robert Capon. He once wrote this, Grace cannot prevail until our lifelong certainty that someone is keeping score has run out of steam and collapsed. Grace cannot prevail until our lifelong certainty that someone is keeping score has run out of steam and collapsed. See, I'd realized that my spiritual journey had come to a point where someone was keeping score. It didn't matter what I did, I was always on the short end. I was always on the end that had to keep up. I had to score more. I had to do more. That evening when I hung up the phone after being tired of calling in my production, I gave up the narrative that someone was keeping score. I let it run out of steam. I simply let it collapse. I think in language today of recovery movements, I just bottomed out. Because no matter how long I played the game, the legalistic performance game, I was never going to get ahead. I was never going to win. It was never ending game in which I would always end up being the loser. And I didn't want to be the loser anymore. But here's the thing. I didn't even really care about being the winner. I just wanted to be. I just wanted to be me. Scott Wagner. Broken. Sometimes on my game. Sometimes off my game. Sometimes making progress, sometimes wandering around, sometimes living a very focused life, sometimes admitting my life felt messy and out of focus and out of control, but in all that I could say, God's grace is enough, and I am enough. Now, full confession. I didn't coin the phrase, as if I haven't confessed enough already, but full confession. I didn't coin the phrase, I'm enough. It was coined by author, speaker, and researcher Brene Brown, who's written on issues of vulnerability and how we live courageously, or how we can live courageously and with our humanity and our, in our imperfections. And she calls it wholehearted living. And she describes it this way. Wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from this place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. Now think about that. Wake up tomorrow morning and just say to yourself, no matter what gets done, No matter how much is left undone, and as I say that phrase, some of you are going like this already, right? Yes. No matter how much is left undone, just say, I am enough. This day is over. We'll just carry it over to the next day, and maybe the next day. 
She writes that we live in this culture of scarcity and never enough. We never seem to have enough stuff or money or love. We feel there's only so much to go around, so we compete for stuff and recognition and love. And all of life becomes a competition and this never-ending journey of comparing ourselves with one another. Now, you ever notice how Jesus' narrative and his understanding of life and living in the kingdom of God, that there's always enough. When the disciples didn't think there'd be enough food to feed the 5,000 on the hillside, Jesus took seven loaves, some fish, and there was plenty for everyone. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to not worry about what we will eat or wear because God provides for the birds and the creatures and will provide for us. Jesus himself tells the world that he came to bring life in abundance, not in scarcity, but in abundance. So with all due respect to Brene Brown and her helpful writings, Jesus was saying many years ago, we are enough. I am enough. God's kingdom is enough. God's grace is enough. So here's the invitation. Are you or I ready to step into the enoughness of God's grace and love? Now, why is this important? Just one little side road. It's important because what we are inside gets projected outside. If I'm constantly trying to keep score inwardly about my performance, then I'm going to constantly keep score with others and either compare myself to their performance or judge their performance. If I always feel, or if I'm, if I'm always going to feel as if I'm not doing enough, then I will probably look upon others as if they're not doing enough. In other words, if we want freedom from perfectionism, we have to make the long journey from what will people think to I am enough. And once we have decided to take that journey, we begin to see how much we're able to let folks go, to release them, and to simply say, you're enough. You no longer have to measure up to my standards. I accept you in your humanity and your vulnerability and in all of your messiness. It was really a big relief for me the day I realized I don't have to change you or anybody. Now, that might seem obvious, but it's kind of a huge deal. It was really a big relief for me when I said, I just don't have to control anyone anymore. The only person I can be present to is myself and live with who I am and be present to myself and offer that and hopefully offer that in love and grace and compassion. In his book, Renew Your Life, which is actually the book we're looking at in the Digging Deeper uh, book study tonight, a pastor, his name is Kai, K-A-I, Kai Nelson writes this, quote, Imagine for a moment what it might be like to live without the weight of earning respect, the burden of producing results, and the bondage of proving ourselves. That freedom, he says, flows from the energy of grace. So, let me close with this. Imagine yourself living with the enoughness of God's grace, of truly being able to say, I am enough. Imagine yourself living in that freedom that flows from the energy of the grace that frees you from no longer spending your energy trying to please others or live up to their expectations. Imagine yourself living in the freedom of letting folks be who God has created them to be and to accept them without judgment or external expectations. Imagine yourself living in the abundance of God's kingdom and God's grace, realizing there is plenty to go around, and we don't have to hold any back, or we don't have to ration it, we don't have to withhold it, we don't have to hoard it until someone sees life the way we do. We can just give it away. There is no shortage of grace. You can't give too much away and waste it. That was one of the things that the religious 
leaders and authorities really, really got ticked off about Jesus. He just saw the kingdom as one big, huge banquet of grace. And there's plenty to go around. And the table is open to anyone. And he would just say, come and sit and be with me in this kingdom. Kai Nelson offers this exercise, and I'll close with this. He invites everyone at the end of the day to do this. At the end of the day, just breathe grace in. How is grace evident in my life today? So maybe later today you can just breathe in, or in the next few moments you can just breathe it in. How was grace evident in my life this past week? And then he invites us to breathe it out and then ask the question, how did I extend the grace of acceptance to others? Breathe in. How was God's grace evident in my life this past week? And when you breathe out, how did I extend or how do I extend the grace of acceptance to others? And maybe just in the next few moments, we'll take a few moments before we sing, just invite yourself to say, in God's grace, I'm enough. I am enough. And God's grace is enough.